0: Namaste, Vladimir. Namaste, Radhi, all the friends. Um, in the very short, quick introduction which Vladimir started, I really appreciated a word that uh, Vladimir has used. Hardly anyone uses this word, but use the word obscure. And indeed, if we go through the various kinds of literature, spiritual, psychological, generally we will see that a distinction between vital and mental is not really made. It's like brought together. But uh, if we look at the human being, the complex human being from an evolutionary perspective, then definitely there comes a vital layer before the mind develops fully over it. So, it remains obscure because we are mind-centric organisms. Uh, Human beings are largely mind-centric. And so, while we do get aware of our thoughts, we are hardly aware of the energies that move us. So, coming straight to the subject, we have a body, we know that, and this body, um, shocking as it may seem, is regarded as a machine. Uh, No problem, we can take it uh, to start with that it's a machine, though the difference is that unlike a machine, it's a machine which can become conscious, is to an extent conscious. We can extend its consciousness. There are no limits to this machine because it's an evolutionary machine. Its whole development has been through an evolutionary process. And if we see the evolutionary history, Um, biological evolution, then we can see that this is not just a machine, but it's a machine that is capable of self-evolution. So, this one part. So, there is a machine element of uh, of us. Then, in any machine, there is a uh, principle or the idea which has gone behind it, the circuits, the software, and that is the mind, the principle or the idea which drives a machine. Let's say the car.
1: Excuse me, please. Uh, There is a request to increase the level of the sound. Okay. Could you? Yes, thank
0: you. Yeah, the level of the sound slightly to increase. Yeah, request has come. So, uh, there is the second element of it that there is, apart from the body, the mind, and we can take it like the car. Car has a physical structure, and the principle of a car is it's meant for movement. So, there is the idea behind it. There is, of course, the user. And the user, which normally we don't uh, speak about, but all spiritual uh, sciences speak about the user. User is the driver and the driver is, of course, the soul. We have the typical Upanishadic image of the chariot, the charioteer, and the driver who is driving the chariot. So, we have the mind, we have the soul, we have the body. Now, where does vital come in? So, vital is that element which makes, which is largely the energy which flows into a system and makes it function. Now, it this is an energy which goes into the body, this energy which goes into the mind, this is an energy which is needed even for spiritual purposes. Now, this is a field which has been left very obscure because while we talk about positive thinking, thoughts, how to control our thoughts. We also speak about, you know, physical exercises, staying fit, etc. We speak about meditative and spiritual practices. But the basic energy that constitutes us or that drives us, we hardly speak about it. Now, we can understand it from below upward. We can understand it as a top-down view. And uh, if we look at it from the spiritual perspective, it's better to understand it from a top-down view. Now, there is only one energy in whole creation and that energy is very beautifully termed as the Shakti in Indian thought. Now, this Shakti is the original power that has gone into creation and we can just imagine for our just one, our understanding that look at that energy which is operating in the entire material creation which is interconnected all these star systems of galaxies and so on and so forth. And there are several other worlds and planes as... The yogis speak of, the vedas speak of, mystics speak of And there is one energy, one power which is animating all these planes And that is the Shakti Now, but this Shakti is too tremendous So each of the forms, whether it be a star, whether it be a, a animal, whether it be a, a human being, a plant uh, or an atom Is... That form is able to receive and contain a certain amount and a certain kind of energy it's, Otherwise it will go out, it will completely be destroyed There will be no forms at all So similarly in the course of evolution, we as human beings have a certain kind of energy And a certain amount of energy which drives us So now we can come to what kind of energy drives us And what kind of energy is the one which animates us Because of the evolutionary process, we are largely driven by energies which have been driving the animal's kind. So, though we have thoughts, we have a mind, but still the basic energy that animates us is largely an animal energy. And there we have a whole gradation which yogis recognize as The most primitive forms of energy, early forms of energy are fear, rage. You know, in animal consciousness, as it develops, there is also... Uh, feeling of affection, some kind of togetherness, what we can vaguely and ignorantly call love. So the, these are the energies, energies of sexuality, uh, So energy drawn by food, energy drawn by breath. So this is what nature has already created. So in other words, we have this source of energy, which we use largely and it is called as drawing the energy from below. So we draw energy through food, which is from below. Now when we talk about drawing energy from food we, we can have the whole chain right extending into matter because every food particle, though it comes from some living source is ultimately constituted of matter and therefore along with matter, along with food we draw a lot of energy from below which is called as an inconscient energy leading to um, you know, a state, it gives us energy but also there is a need for rest It it can create, if it Eat too much of it, we feel sleepy, tired, because this energy is meant for a very limited purposes, so this is one kind of energy now, as human beings, as we develop, we have other kinds of energy also which come up now, but before we go into that, let's say fear and rage. now, this is also a kind of energy people can get very energetic, excited when they are driven by fear, anger There are people who lose sleep and they are all the time on a hyper alert situation So this is one kind of energy and we need not, uh, you know, we know what kind of energy it is Now, in human beings, there is another kind of energy which develops and that we can call as energy of desire which wants to go further, to possess, to acquire things Uh, It is there to an extent in animal creation, but its form that it takes in human beings is a little more different. There is a need to expand beyond our boundaries. The energy that makes us the, the drive of ambition, the drive towards conquest in various fields. And then this energy climbs further and it manifests as love and affection, tenderness. It changes into something like a soft power, a more delicate energy more, you know, slightly more refined energy and then it climbs further and further and it becomes the same energy, becomes the mental energy and the same energy, it can go still further and changes into spiritual and eventually supramental energy So once we understand that there are various kinds of energies that drive us and each of them has a certain purpose and each of them can either help or hinder our ultimate evolutionary march. So, in yogic literature we will often find, talk about the five types of prana two lower, two higher and one which is the balancing or the equalizer. So, there are people who are are driven largely by energies which are drawn from below. Uh, As I said, from food, uh, sexual activities, fear, anger, desire, ambition, Now, this energy drives us but throws a lot of, it's like, you know, a coal engine which throws a lot of smoke. It clogs our arteries, blocks our, you know, takes away our physical health. It creates disturbance in our social life, collective life because uh, of this extreme uh, misapplied individualism. There is a true individualism uh, where we aggressively try to uh, appropriate whatever comes our way. And another problem of this this type of energy is, particularly in human beings, it takes uh, happiness as the goal of life. I just want to be happy. So, behind, it's a deformation of a true principle. The true principle is basically behind all creation, if you look at the Upanishadic idea of creation, there is delight. So, creation is an act of delight. It's ananda which has become manifold. But in The limited forms, because ananda is again like that shakti, tremendous, we can't contain it. So it becomes limited, degraded, distorted into pleasure and pain. And uh, then we get into this groove that I want to experience pleasure. And we are driven by pleasure and pleasure we try to get from outside desire. That's how desire ignorantly tries to uh, experience pleasure. And every such satisfied desire binds us to the entire external world more and more, makes us more and more dependent. So, while we get, it's like, you know, being on drugs, so as long as we get the drug, we are on high, but the moment we don't have it, we feel once again the need, we go again for something else, and this goes on, and it's an endless process, but delight is something intrinsic, delight is something, the more we master this need for running after pleasure, the more we master desire, the more we master fear and anger which are offshoots of desire, the more we master this urge to uh, acquire things by force, this urge to expand outwardly, uh, this ambition, the more that this, the doors to delight begin to open within us. So this is one of the ways that we can upgrade the system. Yogis know it very well and that's why we have a very wonderful principle given in the Isha Upanishad Tena tyaktena bhunjita," By renouncing thou shalt enjoy Now this enjoyment is a valid thing But we can choose the kind of fuel we use to enjoy life So we can either use uh, to put it semi-humorously wine Which will uh, give us a temporary thrill and uh, then the mud or we can use divine, divine or divine, so divine is the purest form of energy uh, I mean conscious being, but also the energy, the shakti that flows uh, can really not only move us so beautifully but it clears the that advantages it 's like the pure fuel, so unlike this fuel that we use now, which uh, throws up a lot of smoke, clocks the arteries, blocks our uh, disturbs our relationships, blocks many aspects within us. Uh, this pure energy has the capacity to clear everything. So it can upgrade even a physical system into a, a better and better body. It can automatically draw our minds and thoughts towards greater and greater heights. I mean, people often ask, how do I change my state of negativity into positivity? The simplest answer is opening to the divine Shakti. Because the moment we open, as a magnet, all the thoughts are pulled up in the right direction upward. So, this change of orientation from this lower form of energy. Now, we need to take a little bit because, well, we are embodied beings, but we can minimize it. Like, we can take food. Food is necessity. Uh, Exercise, sleep, all that is necessary. But at least, instead of largely depending on this energy, we can upgrade into higher systems of energy. So, second system of energy is when we draw from all around us. Now, all around is from nature. Now, you know, very often people Mother speaks of this example of uh, Madame Thion, that she could draw energy right from the flower. And we all experience it when we are very tired. Sometimes just taking a deep breath can really rejuvenate us. Just being in nature and opening to the vastness of nature, it can be very rejuvenating. Looking at a flower can be rejuvenating because there is a kind of energy transaction that takes place, which is independent of putting in something through food, etc., this is an energy influx which comes from the senses. But here again, the problem is that when we open ourselves to nature, we draw a very mixed kind of energy. I remember one experience going in uh, the savannas and stepping out, despite you know the driver telling us, don't do this. But just for a moment, he had stopped and I stepped outside. And the energy of the forest was a very strange energy. On one side there is a vast expanse but on the other side because of the animals and you know the fear and other things which were there one could palpably feel rushing into the system all kinds of mixed things. So when we draw energy from the environment while well there are some atmospheres which are very nice but usually we draw something very mixed. We as human beings add another dimension to this drawing of energy from all around us is through relationships so we love to chat we love to listen and we are not conscious you know uh, that when we interact with people there is a transaction of energy going on which mother speaks of as vital interchange especially when there is animated discussion debates heated debates so this energy interchange which takes place is not very healthy because uh, uh, we lose something of our own and we take in something of the other person Uh, Ordinarily, it doesn't really perhaps matter But as we begin to lead a life which is dedicated to higher goals Then it begins to matter because every time we engage in such a kind of animated discussion We tend to take in the energy of the person uh, unwittingly Which may be of a uh, very mixed type It's not the fault of the person It's just that at different stages of development, we draw different kinds of energy So, but nevertheless, this is one kind of energy which we draw from our environment. But the take-home point and lesson from this is that we should be careful of the company we keep. This is something we often forget. Uh, It doesn't matter. Especially in India, you see weddings and all these, oh my God, these whole kind of crowds. Uh, Now, when we go to such places in a crowded place, when we go to marriages and parties we are actually making ourselves very really, very vulnerable because we are exposing ourselves to a mass of energy which we don't know the music the conversation the thoughts the impulses the instincts and all that unless we are really very strong and highly individualized beings but one can never, you know, um, say that enough. Often we use these things as excuses. That's why in ancient times, uh, one of the things which was advised was that if you really want to take to higher life, not lead the normal life which is around us, we should draw into some kind of seclusion. And this need actually arises. If you read the Gita, the Gita says that one of the signs that one is ready for spiritual life is one begins to love being alone. Now, being alone is different from loneliness where one is shrinking from the world. It's not shrinking. You can meet, interact and take the challenges, but you want to be more or less a little because there is a sensitivity which develops of the various kinds of influx of energies. Then there is another kind of energy which comes through thought. And thought is a form of energy and one of the commonest forms of thought energy is through books. So very often people feel it doesn't matter what I am reading or what I am watching But we are drawing again this energy through the books, through ideas which influence us It's well known how ideas can influence our minds and even compel us to act in certain ways The power of the idea So while on one level we say it doesn't matter, it's just a book, I am reading a book But From the purely um, deeper perspective Occult perspective It's not just a book we are reading We are absorbing packets of energy and consciousness Contained in those string of words So this is another part we have to be conscious of Because those who need to upgrade the system Take to a higher life If we allow too many viruses to enter It may not be a good idea Because they can upset or crash the whole system And then beyond it the purest form of energies are the spiritual and beyond the spiritual, the supramental energies. Which means one begins to uh, draw energy from higher and higher sources and for each of these we see there are means provided in our system. So the energy from below is usually either through uh, the food we eat or through the nervous system, very directly. Fear and anger, many of these emotions can be directly communicated. See, when we are in the company of somebody who is angry, We sometimes, I mean, those who are normally caught up still, excitement, anger, one just absorbs it. Watch people in cricket match and football match and what happens? Uh, Sane people who went inside just to enjoy a match have ended up sometimes hitting each other, even there have been killings. People who would normally not do it in what is called as a crowd behavior because... We are becoming very vulnerable. Nerves are the intersection between the subtle world and the gross world. So, one of the practices which is advised by ancient systems of yoga is to make the nerves strong. They should be strong as steel. When we read Vivekananda, he says, You know, your nerve should be strong as steel because all this influx can actually lead to breakdown. So, one should have strong nerves, nerves of steel, and these nerves should also be refined to spontaneously. At the level of the nervous system, distinguish between what is the kind of energy which should come in and what should be blocked. Normally, we are not conscious enough, so we just draw all kinds of things. So, But once we become aware, when the nerves themselves become conscious, then we know what to draw and what not to draw. Then another system which is inbuilt within the human organism is to draw energies through the senses. So, there is a whole field of training of the senses. That's why music, poetry, um, in fact, um, the visuals, the things we see, uh, basically to develop the aesthetic sense, taste, everything. See, it's very interesting. We use the word taste outwardly. We also use the word taste for um, inner tendencies, for the aesthetic sense. And it's known that as human beings develop, even their physical taste begins to change why? because the entire nervous system is now being reorganized to receive a certain kind of energy and when we are in a gross state then certain things appeal to us and as we grow further and further many things just drop off spontaneously and the taste also becomes very refined, smells so touch, the mother speaks of many other senses Uh, there can be a very gross way of receiving Contacts from the world. But as we grow, the the subtler the touch, the, the gentler the touch, the softer the touch. So it's a whole science in itself. But basically these senses have to be refined. They have to be trained. They have to learn to discriminate. And that is only possible when we train them methodically by exposing them to refined things. So that's one of the roles that music plays by refining. Otherwise, if we don't know, I mean, by music again, there's a whole range of music. There's a music which just makes the lower vital stimulate and titillate and excites it. But there's a music where the upper part begins to move. There's a music where we just feel indrawn. So the nerves should be trained and taught to receive these kind of sensations, impacts. So, the famous Upanishadic saying that may we see the auspicious, may we hear the auspicious, applies at many levels. Of course, uh, one level is that may we be able to see the auspicious, the good behind the ugly. At another level is that may our eyes and hearing be tuned to see the auspicious which we ordinarily miss in life. May we train them to receive that. So, this is a whole field of observation and study with regard to the Nervous system, the sense organs, uh, and and so on and so forth. Then another thing is through the thought. Uh, now one of the things which is very beautifully connected with refining the vital and educated is educated is language. Now we don't understand the impact and importance of language. We ju- we are normally lost in the grammar. Now uh, grammar is all right. Grammar is important because. Uh, you know, the rules of the language. But we will see that in any given language, in Sanskrit, of course, I am sure Vladimir knows it very well. Uh, In Sanskrit, the beauty is that the language itself refines us. For one particular word, there are so many shades. So it makes us so rich. At the same time, it refines our entire system to thought itself which is refined. And I, I just remember one Uh, particular uh, incidents, uh, I mean, I won't be able to vouch, say, for the authenticity of the story but I love it for whatever it means, uh, it has inspired me that when Kali Das was the great uh, master who wrote such wonderful plays and uh, dramas when he was, uh, you know, on his deathbed, he wanted to complete one of his um, well-known writings and he called two of his disciples and asked them uh, to see who will be able to complete it and he asked them to describe the tree which is standing outside, and it was a barren tree, a tree without leaves. So one of the disciples says, uh, It's a dry tree which is standing outside. So he called the other <laughs> disciple and he says, See the difference, they are saying the same thing. It had rust, it was full of delight. Now it is not. Having that rust inside. Taruvar, it is not Vriksha, it is Taruvar. It will blossom again. Vilasati, it is not tishtati. it is not standing, it is lording over the place. Neeras Taruval on its own land, so there is a way of speaking which uh, we have not and I, I see more and more the schools and education there is no emphasis on language and the way children speak the kind of language and people grow up everywhere all over the world i am yet to be uh, to meet uh, i, I don 't know i, I can 't say about, say for how you know people speak in Japan and other places, but generally, what I have seen is that at least in uh, many Indian languages and uh, In the Western context, the language is absolutely ignored, but language refines us. Language makes the vital so refined if we really lay a stress upon it. So this is another part. And of course, as I said, refined ideas, uh, that's one of the reasons why people... Uh, you know, uh, read books like the Upanishads, the Gita, the Vedas, many of them, because they contain such ideas that our brain and the nervous system begins to receive these. Right, you know, there, there have to be grooves to receive it. And right now, our human system is not geared for You know, that's why we see that many times our human system is not built for that. So when people begin to read, say, a book like the Life Divine, they sleep off. Whereas, they are very excited when they read the normal stuff And the reason is this, that our nervous system, our brain is not organized to receive higher forms of energy So we have to train, gradually educate So this is how we have to go about the kind of energy we receive The second aspect is, which is important about vital education, is character Because we grow out of the animal, very beautifully mother has put, man has one legged animality the other in humanity and yet he is a candidate for divinity. She doesn't speak about one in humanity and the other in divinity because that's our past. So many of our reactions are still governed by what we would, evolutionary biologists would call as the limbic system. They are strong reactions which are just governed like, you know, you, you put a Uh, Feet on the tail of a snake And he bites He doesn't care about what's going to happen to us next moment So this aspect many people Even yogis have given up Saying that well we can't do anything about nature Let's find the soul And that's the end of the story Nature will carry on with its past momentum But nature can be changed This is something very interestingly Of course Shirbindran, and the mother speak about it The whole yoga is ultimately about Transformation of nature But even now Uh, This thought has come in modern psychology Nature can be changed But we must understand it's not easy It's a very very persistent effort After all, millenniums, millenniums Of a particular groove of nature, habit It can't be undone in a day or two days And therefore we must be armed with a lot of patience Endurance, perseverance Ready to, uh, you know, we will think we have got it And fall again we think we have got it mother says you know you should be ready to if necessary if you fall a thousand times get up a thousand and first time so there should be an unfailing trust that the grace will carry us despite everything and uh, we must keep the hope so this is one of the things keep orienting this nature towards the divine keep offering it to the divine now People often wonder, oh this, where does divine come in all this and offering to the divine. It's very simple. It's, it, it is the law of interchange. So normally, you know, in this world, there is a connectedness through which there is a give and take. So what happens when we offer to the divine? What are we really giving? We are giving ourselves just as we are. Of course, provided we don't hide. Transparently, whatever is there, without judging, when we judge, we stop offering. Because automatically there is a tendency to suppress, to uh, all the crude elements we put behind It's like, you know, when we, uh, sometimes here also, I see when people go for darshan, they are very well dressed (laughs) No, we can be what we are in front of the divine, dress is another matter But in front of the divine, we should be like a baby, whatever we are Whatever way the world may think about us, it's not really important, it's nature That's why one of the fundamental practices if we want to change nature is to learn to step back and observe. When we are in it, we are caught. So very often when people are caught in the flow and flux of nature, it's nowadays called by a very technical term, going with the flow. (laughs) Now this flow, well, it's okay, this flow may be a wave rising up or this flow may be something which is going to crash into the abyss. So to learn to stand back from nature and observe it and discern where is this flow coming from? Where is this flow going? Where is it likely to lead us? So this kind of a awakening of the discerning intelligence, it's a great help. Learning to step back, becoming a witness of our own nature, as the Gita puts it, swadhyaya, student of oneself. So these are simple practices through which we begin to observe our nature, the whole field. And then we can gently start putting pressure on it to change. But the simplest way of change is by offering it. So what happens when we offer it? We are giving something of ourselves to the divine consciousness which is the origin of all things, all beings and it is the purest form, the highest form of Shakti. So what does the divine consciousness do? It returns something back to us. Now, when it returns, it has gone through the process of the alchemic touch. So it's a very, very logical and rational thing to do to remember and offer to the divine. I'm reminded of the story of, uh, you know, Rabindranath Tagore in Gitanjali that you know when God comes he is is ready with his own list that I will ask him this 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 but when God comes he stretches his hand and says give me what are you going to give and with a heavy heart he parts with a grain of uh, wheat to him thinking that what kind of a God I should have put my list but he didn't give me time he took something and went away but when he goes home with a heavy heart and you know He empties the sack He discovers that one grain of wheat Has turned into gold So the sense of the story is When we offer something to the divine The divine, he doesn't need You know, someone asked me once uh, Why does the divine want us to love him? (laughs) So I said He's not bothered whether you love him or not It's for our benefit So he said, how does it benefit us? I said, see, when we love the divine It's very ignorant love we have We have the same love of, you know, Abhiman and all kinds of things, wanting and you know, all the jealousies also if you read the Bhagavata, all kinds of love we have and we offer it to the divine so what the divine does with that love he doesn't keep it to himself, he doesn't need it he pours into it because he is pouring anyways all kinds of love in the creation, but depending on our need, that love changes into that little aspect often distorted by the play of nature but when we offer it back to the divine, then we begin to receive the pure and purer forms of love so again This energy of love, which is a prime mover of creation, when we turn it towards the Divine, we will see that we will avoid a lot of complications and confusions in life. Automatically, spontaneously, our heart begins to become truly a vessel of the Divine sweetness and ananda because sweetness, beatitude, ananda, they are all cousins of love. Or we may put it other way that wherever there is delight, there is love and beatitude and sweetness. And then we don't depend upon any anything outside us, whether it be a human being or anyone else. So how do we connect with people? Well, we let it flow into creation. It's something so beautiful. It enriches creation. It makes the world a better place because this is what people are suffering from. Because lack of delight, lack of love. So because we become hubs, each such person who opens to the divine grace, and lives a life of constant offering whether of emotions, thoughts, work, passions even every kind of energy can be offered to the divine and when we offer, we begin to become hubs through which nodal centers through which the divine can pour into the creation even directly he is pouring but it is very difficult for normally to tune in but such people become hubs through which the divine lets his uh, purer forms of energy purer forms of uh, you know sweetness um, unmixed bliss to pour into creation so all this is part of the refining of the vital so the more we do it the more we refine it the more we educate it we will see that this purer form of energy when it comes it begins to change our character one last thing which we have to remember is uh, because of you know uh, shortage of time or last thing which we have to remember it that uh, in change of character, very often uh, it's a it's a great truth which yogis know. Carl Jung spoke about it, and some mystics are aware of it. That there is something called as a shadow. So each of us, there is a part which is the spearhead in the march of our evolution, in the vital nature. But Along with it, there is the shadow. So, a man who is very heroic in one part of nature can be an extreme coward in another part of nature. But, also vice versa. A person who is very generous in one part of nature may have a lot of greed and avarice in another part of nature. But, also vice versa. It just, what happens is, when a child grows up and that's where the role of schools come in, some kind of, a kind of education, unfortunately, unwittingly strengthens the shadow. But wherever there is the shadow, there is the light. Another kind of education picks that up as a starting ground and knows there is a light inside and brings out the light from within. I remember one small story where a child was a bully and when he was taken to the mother, all the teachers had failed because they said, don't do this, don't do this. And You see, vital never listens to the mind. It will start playing tricks. It will say, yes, yes. But it will do because you can't control the vital by the mind one, has, one can try it, I mean, it's helpful at a certain stage to use the mind to control the vital But what the mind can do is make it more reasonable and that's a good gain, but it doesn't change So reason can modify the character, it doesn't, uh, you know, change character Another thing has to be brought into operation is will, which is completely neglected I mean, there is no training of the will I mean. All kinds of tests of endurance and exercises We get so many opportunities to train our will From, you know, the food getting delayed To uh, a meeting getting postponed Many things we were expecting something It doesn't come, it is delayed So all these are means to exercise our will To become stronger But to come back to our story So when this child was taken to the mother Mother said, oh I know you are a very strong fellow Then the bully, yes of course I am very strong so she asked him that you know which is a greater expression of strength to punch somebody in the nose or to put your hands in the pocket and hold yourself tight and just refuse that urge to punch the boy thought for a while and they said yes to refuse is a (laughs) much requires much greater strength and then it worked now this is one way of doing it and this is appropriate to a certain age but ordinarily what happens is especially in grown-up human beings this may not work because what happens, we keep it all inside and it may just, you know, burst up one day. We know how Yudhishthir, his mind was overtaken because uh, it's there in the subconscious. It's it's a shadow. So what we need to do is, uh, there is a whole process of evolution. First is to learn to regulate it and that's where reason comes in that, well, this shadow will emerge. Time to time it will have its play, but let it be a process where we are fully conscious there is no justification for it if we are angry we know that this is not something which is desirable normally we just justify it that this is my nature so not to justify to lead a life of balance and moderation to if we cannot eliminate desire but at least regulate it so slowly they get trained and the word that is used is sanyama. so instead of nigraha which is just suppression Which people try to do in monasteries and uh, I mean ashramas and we see what happens. So we use Sanyama and when Sanyama is exercised, slowly slowly that tendency has becomes weakened. Now a time comes when Sanyama combined with a higher goal because aspiration, uh, surrender, offering, it becomes weak enough that a day comes when one says done with it and it's ready to go. So this is how we have to Go through this process of evolution It needs a lot of perseverance We have to identify the shadow Which lingers behind Very often that is the last Obstacle but also the door Once we cross through it All is a step and all is sky and God As Shubhendu describes in that poem The last tremendous bro, The rock that comes And if we cross it then a step and all is sky and God So this is the overall and overview of vital education Um which means basically that we uh, draw in pure and pure forms of energy. We refine the senses. We refine the vital. We refine our character. When we, even when we do the same things, I mean, um, you know, conquest. Uh, that's a story which I appreciate. You know, when Alexander conquers uh, the king uh, Puru, and he asks uh, purus that, look, you know. How do you want me to treat you? And look at Porus, he says, the way a king would treat a king. So even though he is outwardly defeated, yet he remembers something within him, refuses to give up the kingliness. Now that story is a very refined story. It shows that how, uh, even at that level, even our ambitions, even lust, even sexuality, uh, even all these movements, they can be refined and uplifted to the extent they can be. And then, the more we do it, the nervous system, we make it more strong, We make it more refined through various means Poetry, art, music, culture, language The the right use of language, the books we read And most importantly aspiration And surrender to the grace So these are the means through which the entire field of vital Can be modified and changed This is the real battle in Shurabindo's yoga We may know everything We may have read all the books We can, you know, write books 100 books, we can give lovely talks <laughs> but vital is the real place where the the real battle goes on and at some point one has to recognize it for what it is worth the sooner the better and to start working upon it as they say catch it when it's young and then it's a long journey and one should be armed with patience perseverance and most of all trust in the divine grace in the last analysis uh, I remember reading a book on Brahmacharya by Swami Sivananda, uh, you know how to practice it, so you know you read everything, how to read, master, uh, so uh, at the end, that he is really a genuine yogi, at the end he says, he says it's the divine grace, now you know yogis have realized it, so in the end we must know that whatever be our effort, it is the divine grace which helps us. To open the vital mind, body, everything more and more to the grace is the real secret, if at all, of intensifying the process combined with the self-giving to the divine. So this is uh, in gist what I wanted to share. Now we can open it to all the questions. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Alokji, for very inspiring and beautiful um, Talk. It was so wonderful. There are several questions here already posted, seven questions. Yes. Uh, one of which I would like to ask, um, because it comes to me all the time when I'm thinking of what you are saying, of this impossibility of uh, easy and uh, rapid and quick change of our vital nature. Um, and um, that is uh, the the point um, is um Within the species, because we are human species, and somehow this limitation, Mother speaks of, yeah, e- evolutionary limitation, yes. limitation of our uh, of our formation of yes. this body of uh, of brain, of heart, of whatever nerves, and that creates only this kind of uh, impossibility for us to break through to another form yes, yes. yet. And that's why we will be always influenced by these true, streams true. and currents, yeah, currencies yeah. of energy. And um, So, w- whenever we want to break through and go deep and find our unborn self, of our true self, true. Uh, it doesn't mean that we could get rid of this um, outer being so easily. So yes, yes. yes. Yeah. No, very so, true. how to deal with
0: it? Yes, how so deal- uh, I use a term that we are caught in the magic circle of nature. And uh, the famous story of shape that there are three knots that tie us. So the knot of ego, the knot of desire and of course the knot of the body itself, you know. So the last knot, first is the knot of desire is easier to work upon. But there are two knots which are really very strong. The ego which identifies ourselves with this. So, I think the first breakthrough is to get out of this sense of identification with this complex that we know as ourselves. So, this is a very important thing. That's why the mother uses the word that discover the psychic being. And I'm glad you brought out. It's, of course, the final (laughs) question. which uh, So, to discover the psychic being, to discover the true self. But even when we discover the psychic being, the ego knot doesn't break. But it becomes thin enough as an instrumentality. But it has a great vantage point. Many of these things arise because of the sense of the ego. Let's take, for example, jealousies. Now, the smaller we are, the more jealousy and the more uh, ambition will come in because, you know, we we identify as a very small being and because deep within we are aware of the infinity, there is a need to recapture infinity on the basis of a small little finite. So, Hmm. the first step is to discover the um, psychic being, which will make this play of the ego much weak. The second is the other immortality, which is the consciousness of the infinite. Now, this uh, consciousness of the infinite, in in my understanding and experience, it comes as a special grace. The mind has to really, uh, really, literally be blown away to, uh, you know, open to that infinite. But I suppose that contemplating on the divine constantly and divine, not as a limited entity or being or a belief system, but on the divine as the vastness of vastness, as the all-containing absolute, the divine who is imminent in all creation, the divine within whom all creation exists and the divine will become all creation by simply contemplating this vastness of the divine and if we cannot at least to contemplate the vastness of space, the endlessness of uh, time, the boundlessness of space, it time comes when the magic fence begins to break. When the time will be, we don't know. But when we combine it with this aspiration, then it acts like a laser. cuts through layers of nature and there is this, uh, you know, suddenly opening into that infinity. Now, this does not change nature, but again it gives it tremendous vantage point. We no more identify with the ego. Now, we know that this is a field to be worked upon. We have separated. We know we are not this. So, otherwise... People, it becomes very complicated. Every time nature creates a, a, you know, play trick or an illusion, there is accompanying the guilt. There is accompanying that I am unfit. It becomes a much worse thing than what it should be, which is simply that it's nature separating. You know, in synthesis, Shirdi speaks of that. The Gita starts like that. The entire discriminating intelligence, sankhya yoga, jnana yoga, that we separate. We know this is nature and this is me. Of course this is not an intellectual process But a real process It may start with the intellect That let me discover my true self So these two things have to be done Yet Mm -hmm. it is true That as long as the body remains The way it is The last conquest cannot be done There is is no doubt about it And Madhya Srivindo has spoken about it That as long as the body consciousness Remains Even at the level of body consciousness One may uh, work But as long as the body remains what it is It very naturally responds to certain forces and certain vibrations And that's why they gave their life to the ultimate conquest over the body Because it's a habit in the cells And that is a yoga which we can't do It is to be done uh, At least the mother when Satprem asked mother That mother uh, this is so much I mean how are we to do it and it's so painful She said but who is asking you to do it And she said you just open to me And I'll do it for you. So it's a very clear thing she mentions in the agenda. But at the same time, I feel that one of the things which again she gave a clue, which works on matter, on the cells, is mantra and japa. My own experience has been just calling mother's name. And you know, people know about it. I am not saying that this is going to... The complete conquest will be when the breakthrough takes place, which is not an individual phenomena. It has to be a collective. We don't know who will be the first hundred monkeys or the two thousand monkeys. We don't know. A tipping point will come. But we should try to reach the extreme limits of our possibility. Uh, And that extreme limit is through Japa, uh, even reading Savitri, because it's a kind of mantra. It is a mantra, the mantra of transformation But it's a kind of mantra yoga That's what I mean to say So by reading Savitri, by you know, simply calling mother's name There is an impact on the cells and they begin to get cleansed um, Yes, uh, still if you ask me I remember one yogi, 107 year old Who was asked this question Sir, has all the impulses of lower nature disappeared? He said it has become so weak like you put a stick over water <laughs> You know, but Honest of him. And I remember Amal Kiran, he was in nursing home, 106 year old. And this question was asked to him also, in a different way. And he said, it doesn't go so easily. Dada, Pranabda, such a tremendous, you know. And he was asked this question that, you know, uh, about the body and all that. And he was engaged directly in physical yoga. So he Mm -hmm. said, you see, the body, yes, uh, you can block everything And, uh, you know, the body, you can stop But the vital remains uh, young still Mm -hmm. So we must understand the difficulty So that's why one has to go through a number of experiences Many people are very frightened They take to asceticism And they have a tendency to close their eyes But this is the process So I suppose um, all of us are beings in transition, I have at least accepted that there will be many intermediate species it's not a single leap like Hanuman that one can cross over to Lanka enter the citadel of darkness and uh, you know uh, bring back that divine energy which is hidden there, even he doesn't do it so uh, there are several efforts which we will do, the important thing which she mentioned about apprentice superman, all of us are transitional beings, intermediate beings But we must keep putting effort at self-mastery. This is within our, uh, not never to give up. She Mm -hmm. says that all who are making an effort at self-mastery of whatever kind, whatever degree, are apprentice supermen. So, I take refuge in that famous statement that, well, let's put in, let's keep refining uh, as much as we can. And uh, yes it does become weak Definitely it becomes weak These things become more refined But if one says that a complete conquest Well till the body remains And that magic circle only the divine grace can do it I don't think any species No species is done with its own effort When mother was asked uh, Mother uh, Can't we do it with our own effort And mother said humorously just try it (laughs) Just try it (laughs) So Let's acknowledge the difficulty as you said but let's not give up. Let's, there are many steps and stages which we can take, which require sincere observation, discernment, refinement, perseverance. A lot of things we can do on the way. And let's do that and uh, leave the final shot to be played by the Divine at its own time.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. There is a question from Dr. Deepali Gupta. Sir, how relevant would it be to bring vital education into our mainstream higher education? The youth today is caught up in emotions and unable to deal with them. The usual advice offered by a well-wisher is don't be too emotional.
0: Yes, so good question and I'm so glad someone brought it. We are using the wrong means. We are trying to control the vital by the mind. It doesn't work. The vital has to be taught to uh, refine by its own process. Let's take, for example, emotions. So children, you know, at this age, uh, in adolescent, they fall in love. Uh, In India, for a long time, I can take that example. It was, oh, it is something bad. So what happened? By the time the man got married or the lady got married, They didn't know. I'm talking of modern times, not ancient times. They didn't know how to even communicate with each other, how to respect each other mutually. And they just took a template from the society and carried on. So as long as the social order was of a certain kind, it worked. But now that has been broken. So rather than either teaching that, no, 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 you have to focus on your studies, course, etc. Don't be too emotional. Be practical. Or asking the mind and reason to curb it rather teach a child this a wonderful opportunity how to love truly i would rather when a boy or a girl go on a date i would explain to them i would rather listen to them that you know okay what are they planning and maybe teach them a a, a bit of things here and there not that i am a great teacher about it but at least how one can make this more beautiful more refined uh, you know to care for somebody you love to be tender and if you really look at it many of the things which are there still Uh, For instance, uh, like, uh, you know, manners is done very outwardly. But when you take a lady out, a simple thing like stretching your hand and asking her to step into the front. Now, this is rooted in a very profound truth. I mean, the Shakti is being invited. In India, the culture was that when a lady gets married and she's coming home, she must step in. She's Lakshmi who is coming. So we can go right into that Hori ancient traditions which still are so relevant. One of the things that I would teach every boy in the school uh, I mean if given a chance with something which I have tried to practice and Swami Vivekananda has said so beautifully teach, treat every woman as goddess. Now you see it. We don't have to then you know think what to do and not to do. Is she a goddess treat her like a goddess? and I know some instances where the, where the mother asked the man to treat her like a goddess, and it is not just about one or two persons. Of course, I'm not saying even um, goddess can be Kali and Durga and everything, but to it it's very good to train the emotions by bringing out deeper and more refined emotions. This is one part second, to introduce music, art. Poetry, culture, it is completely missing. I mean, it is there, but it's optional. There is not much emphasis. But most importantly, the whole goal of education. A human being, how would we talk about, you know, drawing from higher sources, but uh, would it really work if the goal is ultimately material success? And, you know, how do I move up the ladder? So people have asked, you know, uh, why don't you have a course for... um, I had an example like that, you know, going to one of the... Cities in uh, one of the places in, in Nairobi Where it was a 7 star hotel All the business magnets have come, had come And you had to speak something And what were they expecting? Yoga will teach me how to get more money Success, 7 day success course So I said excuse me For all you know you may end up Willingly lose your money And be happy about it So the point is We have to reorient the goals they work together. Same with human beings. That if we don't have a goal which is high, if the goal is the same as Sri Ramakrishna would say, eagle fly, not the eagle, sorry, the vulture flies high, but its eyes are on the loaf of meat, which is down below. So we have to teach children or rather educate to induce, to bring out the goal. We leave it to them to you know, pick up the goals based on uh, this major and that minor and society and this conditioning. Uh, So, this is another orientation. And finally, as I said, language is a very important tool. Completely ignored and neglected. So, it's a mammoth task to reset the language issue. It's a very major issue and a wonderful way to refine the being. A wonderful way. Like, I think Sanskrit worked wonderfully at one point of time because of this. So, all this art, music, poetry, The books we read, language, goals, lot of physical exercise, that's another very important thing Because the nerves become strong when we do physical exercise Many of these tendencies and impulses, they just go away to teach them to be busy You know, boredom is a big disease So when people are bored, many impulses spontaneously rise because it's a tamasic state Now when we are in a state of tamas, all kinds of energy come in to shake the tamas so, in a tamasic state, what energies will come? The lower vital energies. Because they are the only fellows who will, you know, shake up the... And it's a well-known thing. When we have nothing to do, all these jobless, all these aimless drifting, all these energies come up very easily. So, to stay busy, to do, engage in a lot of physical exercises and workout, to introduce it consciously. Now, um, all this is a big, um, big agenda and should be done. It's part of the entire curriculum. It's a package. It cannot be just telling a child... The, Don't be emotional. Emotions are a part of us. In fact, emotions are the core. Uh, I mean, just to complete the picture, a highly intellectual person with cold heart is an Asura by definition. Mm -hmm. So we are wanting to create Asuras if we are finishing the emotions. This civilization suffers because of it. It's a civilizational disease because they will not feel happy inside. Extremely brilliant intellect but no happiness inside So what does one do? One goes into drugs, pleasure and all kinds of activity Because delight is a natural need So emotions are so wonderful They are the hub, the heart is the dynamism To do an action without love Means we are doing it out, either out of a, You know, upsurge of uh, you know pleasure or kick or whatever we may call it But this is where every action should be an act of love so, this is very important, but to bring out the deeper love rather than the surface love So, this is how I would proceed when uh, and, and as a counsellor, I had occasion to deal with this, uh, both parent side and children's side And I always advise them, it's not love which is wrong, I mean, love is a mistaken word which is used But bring out more refined emotions, what's wrong with it, it's a wonderful opportunity to train them And it's very dangerous to curb the energies of love, this is a civilizational disorder will create Asuras and Rakshasas. Rakshasas are those with gigantic appetites. Again, cold here. Asuras are brilliant minds, but cold here. So we should be careful about that. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, there is uh, another question of Sakshi Aurora. Could you please elaborate the statement with another example? Reason can modify the character. It can't change the yes. character.
0: So, uh, I can address it as a psychiatrist, (laughs) you know, what reason does. Now, reason is uh, one of the tools of the ego and reason develops in nature. It's part of nature. So, it develops toward the later part of the evolution. And like all things in evolution, what reason does is, it initially, when reason develops, it is at the mercy of our vital nature. Because vital is the elder one. Animal nature has come first. So, it's like whenever a new person comes, he is first, you have to do my bid, you know, like ragging in the school. So, I hope it's no more there. But anyways, so what happens in the initial phase of evolution? Reason is uh, dragged by the vital and used as an advocate to justify itself. Because in human beings, there is a tendency and a need to automatically justify all actions. This is how we are programmed. Uh, So, this is the first stage. Naturally, then it becomes doubly worse because we are using reason at the disposal of the vital nature which can take us anywhere. You see, people kill, do bombings, kill innocent people and they have a reason. Ask them, they will give you a very cogent reason. And there will be people who will debate on behalf of all these things because, well, there is a reason. Now, this is a very primitive reason which is yet at the mercy of the animal in us. Then, next step is to learn to disengage this reason from all this field. That's what makes a person a rational, reasonable thinking animal maybe, but at least a human animal. And this process by which we learn to disengage reason and observe ourselves is a very important movement even in yoga. This is what Buddhi yoga starts with that, though it goes much deeper. To learn to discern and discern what? Discern the true from the false. Ultimately, of course, it's only the psychic which can discern. There are many screen things, but at least to be reasonable means when we are acting under an impulse. So what reason can do is it can check an impulse. When there is an impulse to act. So what reason says? Reason says this is not the time to act like this. You meet on the road and you know you may suddenly want to uh, I mean that's how we have developed uh, You if somebody wants to you know uh, eat something or let's say um, uh, you know engage in an activity one maybe in the center of the road one goes to the side or finds an appropriate place. So reason does not eliminate, but it shows us the right way, right way, according to a rational world. Let me take a more concrete example from yogic and rational perspective. Is it wrong to have a sexual relation? Well, a person living in unbridled vital will say, "How does it matter? It's my pleasure and my thing. How does it matter?" A more rational human being will say, "Well, with your wife, it's okay." but not uh, Or still developed reason will say, "If you love somebody, it is all right. But you can't have it just like that. You know, it can't be just brute sex. So, what reason has done? It has given it a nice shape. I mean, it's not eliminated it, but with your wife or with somebody, two people who deeply love each other, it is something still which is acceptable to uh, any right rational thinking person. In fact, a rational thinking person will go to an extent and say love should be the key and not merely a legal act or a document. But, spiritual perspective, and Shurabinda was asked, That uh, does it matter whether we have uh, sex uh, this way or in marriage? He says, no, it makes no difference. What makes a difference is the excitement that accompanies it. So if we start looking from a spiritual perspective, then it's not about, you know, rationally expressing or not, but it is about modifying it, making it something which is, Freed from the intense, vital excitement, position, domination, taking pleasure for one's own sake, and then, you know, forgetting about everything, to something which is much more tender. There is a sense of tenderness, giving, care. I'm just giving an example, extreme example of a tendency. But reason can never master an impulse like, like the sexual impulse. Anger, it can never master it, but it can make it much more modified. So when a person who is a rational human being gets angry, he will do it with a little more sophisticated way. Maybe he will formally he'll raise his voice. He will not be abusive, uh, hopefully. But yet, reason is never the final thing. So, we have that example of Yudhishthir. Sattvic people are known to lose control over the vital. And look at that man, the paragon of Sattvic virtues. And what happens with him? There comes a time when he is putting everything on stake. Knowing that it never belonged to him Any rational person would have said How can you put your so called your kingdom Your wife, your brothers at stake But he did it So reason is a very precarious palace Because between the two Vital is much more Older Its hold upon matter is far stronger That's why the mother Cautioned people She said there is always an animal hiding behind the bush So if one is not vigilant So, ordinarily, what reason we will do? Outside, when people meet, there is a cover-up. But when one meets in the secrecy and privacy of the room, then the reason is takes a back seat. It's an acceptable social behavior to be what we are. And that's why we will see many human beings very reasonable outside in workplace, despicable when they come home. The way they treat their own near ones, their wives, husbands, children, whatever it is, because they have just The reason has created a nice facade. No, if I do it in my company, I'll be fired. But at my home, I can be what I am. So, reason has limitations, yet it is the first tool. And we must learn to separate it from the movement, learn to develop some kind of discernment. True discernment is always the psychic discernment. Reason can never know the complex play of forces. Reason can easily get fooled. Let's say two people... Uh, They apparently love each other How will reason know what are the motives hidden inside? It doesn't know the play of forces And next time when it is cheated It feels completely drained out Recently, I mean, we had this uh, This actor who committed suicide Apparently one of the Or murder, whatever it is But apparently there was an affair which was going on I'm sure he must have felt like many other persons That this is wonderful Love is beautiful But reason can never show us the play of forces Which is there around the corner when it will enter and uh, You know there will be as they say The hidden claws and the fangs Which will come out Reason can never discern but the psychic can discern There is a line in Savitri One glance discern from the true and the false Reason can discern between Right and wrong Based on moral lines But the psychic can discern between the true and the false That's the beauty of the psychic So that's why Reason is an intermediate tool Minister till the psychic comes out it can be a good minister, it can be a bad minister. Bad minister, it will justify the vital and we will say, I have a reason for it. Good minister, it will train the vital, teach it to be in moderation, at least know the difference between time, place and circumstance, desh, kal and patra. But it is only the psychic which will show us that truth is not captured in this frame. There is something deeper. And it also knows how to turn everything towards truth. That is another beauty of the psychic. It knows how to extract that little grain of gold hidden inside the shaft. So this only the psychic can do and reason cannot do. So this what, uh, Mm -hmm. just a few examples. Yes.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, There is a question uh, from Manahar Rama. He has two questions. I will... um, give you only one for now. Can vital power be replaced by some other power?
0: Okay, so the question is, can vital power be replaced by some other power? This is precisely what transformation is about. Now, it will, see, power is, the vital is the seat of power. Now, even when we speak about thought, drawing energy from thought, after a while, if this vital is not energized, it will begin to Uh, You know beyond a point it will not be able to sustain itself So vital by its very nature It is a prana It is the life force in the creation So what we can do is That we can change the vital Make it more mentalized so to say Make it more spiritualized And eventually we can make it transformed A luminous vital uh, Which is what is the goal of the yoga But it will still be vital But it will undergo such a change of character That we can almost say that It will be like uh, you know Uh, grains of gold mixed with lot of mud but going through a process of purification and becoming a 24 karat gold so this is what will happen uh, through the process so it will not be because vital uh, these terminologies are used in this way that physical is from sat and vital is that is pure existence vital is from consciousness that aspect and of course the mind is from the supramental and the soul from the delight so uh, this can be changed into its origin so, there is the shadow play happening within what is called as the lower hemisphere. So the vital is also that much which is needed for our uh, little purposes. But what where does the vital eventually draw energy from? I mean, uh, of course, you would uh, be you're fully aware. Marishwami it draws energy from the very source, its origin is shakti. That's why I started from there. So it can change into pure shakti. But where is the form ready to take the shakti? So it is a slow process and that's why in kundalini when people start from below upwards, this is another form of energy. People have a breakdown. I mean, uh, Pandit Gopinath's book, uh, uh, How He Suffered. So those are special practices done through yoga. But in Chirabindu's yoga, something similar happens. It comes from above downwards and the centers is open and because the need of being is to turn toward the infinite, opening to the infinite, therefore the energy that pours in is much stronger both in intensity and in terms of its purity Uh, but of course the being has to be prepared so uh, this is one but if one asks that what is that ultimate form of energy um, highest uh, in which vital can be changed well it is ananda and uh, ananda as love is what transforms us so ultimately it is ananda whose degradation we see in the vital and you know it takes all kinds of forms Uh, So, Ananda is the original, it can change into Ananda, but there is a lot of journey, (laughs) many slips between the cup and the lip, so we have to be very persevering, yes.
1: Thank you. So, there is one more interesting question of Chitra Govind. Isn't staying busy going through life unconsciously?
0: Yes. Yes. So what it does is, when we are staying busy and going through life unconsciously then we will be hit by many forces because unconsciousness means we will be open to all kinds of things falsehood and other things Uh, It's not a good state to be in That's why one of the things which is always advised to, uh, and one of the things which is important when we uh, when we take to spiritual life is to find time to sit back, reflect, contemplate on the life goals, to become more conscious and aware, uh, it, it, is, it is important, it's needed. So, but when I said, probably it, it may also have come from, you know, the idea that staying busy. Now, this staying busy is preferable to boredom, just staying idle. Idle, just whiling away time, is not a very healthy habit. Because when we are bored, it is Gortamas. When we are busy, it is Rajas. But there is something else. The sattva and the pure spiritual consciousness. So, by staying busy means in, in an activity which is really uplifting, helping us uh, to grow, exercises, not to just, you know, waste time sitting idle, chit chatting, gossiping. That's not a very healthy condition to be in. Um, uh, towards a goal, even that is good because it will block away many things uh, from entering the life uh, for whatever it is worth but uh, we must take out time when we sit and reflect quietly to stand and stare as someone has said you know uh, to learn to wait uh, we have forgotten that and it's important to take out time for that and that's why we see ashram life is organized like that 5 5:30 five, people are supposed to pack up go for uh, you know physical exercises and then after that you know they have time for meditation so it's important just being busy may uh, may keep away certain things But it's not going to change us for sure And until we change Especially if we take the long cycles of creation In the Indian thought It doesn't end with one life I may be a very successful Busy entrepreneur in one life But well I have another life And if I have not uh, done anything As I came and went uh, I did nothing to become more conscious Nothing to really uh, No effort to change myself a little I remained what nature made me Then it's a lost opportunity, it's a despicable thing So we must work Whatever extent, doesn't matter But at least some effort And it is this which gives joy So this idea that happiness is the goal of life Must be replaced with the urge for progress Human life is an opportunity for progress If we are busy Trying to make progress in whatever way It's wonderful but if we are being busy just to maintain the status quo of nature, we are what nature made us and we are just leading life like that pretty unconsciously. There is not a very happy state because you know, we have, now there is a backlog which we have to now clear in next life. We can't escape the law of evolution. So that's how I would suggest. Yeah.
1: Wonderful, thank you. Uh, there is a question from Jai Prakash um, about should we bring our children to these social ceremonies like marriages and so on <laughs> if they are so degrading and uh, yeah,
0: yeah. could be dangerous? Should, should we bring children to marriages and such ceremonies? Mm-hmm. If you ask me, I would categorically say no. Uh, it's not only degrading, it's like uh, uh, all show and sham. They learn how to, you know, there's so much deception involved. There was a time when these ceremonies had a lot of meaning. When, you know, people sat around the fire. Some of these ceremonies can be very wonderful. It can be a training ground. What exactly is marriage about? Let's speak of marriage. I mean, around the fire, if somebody could explain, uh, like Mother has said that, you know, what is at the center it's the aspiration which is there not the ego and at each plane we are moving look here three times the purusha is in front and four times the prakriti the nature is in front if somebody could simultaneously explain what's happening and what is the true secret then any experience can become very nice but in the absence of that which is the usual case everybody is busy showcasing the clothes everybody is showcasing the size of the gift and uh, you know then the atmosphere is very horrible but definitely if at all it is done it should be done with this kind of anything as mother said you can watch a movie and grow through it by consciously understanding what it's showing and what is being depicted there so it all depends on what goal we have but in general these places marriages social gatherings ceremonies uh, even certain uh, I'm sorry to say, you know, uh, in the temple I've seen some kind of dances which are so vital in nature. I mean, one wonders whether God is happy or He has run away. Because, you know, (laughs) looking at the horror show, (laughs) all kinds of, you know, dress, makeup and things. And after that, uh, the kind of chat which happens and the chart which is on the stall. So, you know... I don't know, I am not in favor of these things from a yogic perspective. It's nothing personal about me. Uh, All ceremonies, there is nothing against ceremonies, but they must be conducted with a certain dignity and nobility. There must be in it a consciousness which makes you feel uplifted. It can be done. I have seen a couple of them happen like that but uh, most often it becomes ostentatious show display deception which is not healthy it's like a totally surface consciousness a lot of vital interchange and that's not healthy so we need to change the way we uh, we conduct these ceremonies and social functions mm.
1: yeah yeah thank you there is one more question from alexei saying that sometimes they may say this is This is a result of working of hormones in him. Hmm. Uh, What is uh, the relation between hormones and vitamins? So,
0: we have a part whether all these are a result of hormones. So, well, we have to understand that there is a bodily apparatus and uh, everything on earth will act through the apparatus in one way or the other and these apparatus which include the nervous system and the hormones uh, right thyroid endocrines and everything is right now tuned in such a way that it acts along the lines it has been primed so far to give an example in this adrenaline hormone you know people often use the word rush adrenaline now this hormone is very useful at an animal level because there is a flight or fight fight reaction or even sometimes a freeze reaction when there is danger but the same hormone continues its same activity in human beings even when the mind has come in. So, you see, human beings, they start thinking of a perceived danger. There is no real danger. A perceived threat and the hormone begins to go Ori. So, we have to understand that right now this body has developed along the lines of certain uh, forces which were useful in the animal world and naturally the hormones and the nervous system is geared to that. But we can change it. That's where the whole trick lies. To start with, we have to understand that we are not at the mercy of hormones, but the hormones can be at our mercy. Which means the first step is that we are not the hormones or the product of hormones, but we are something other than all this hormonal nervous system, which means to learning to disengage and observing ourselves. Which means that there is a moment of choice even when there is a rush of hormones and we can experience it in real life. There is a rush of hormones which wants to go into excitement. And suddenly something in us stops. You know, there have been an experiment where they have found that will is anterior to the entire bodily processes. But it is a switch, two switches given to us: faith and will. And light, discernment. Oh, no, of course, faith can also be light. Now, will is something which decides whether one set of hormones will come into play or another set of hormones. But this is a moment of choice. So this is something which we have to develop It's a very delicate moment If we lose the moment, then yes, we are at the mercy of the flow Then it becomes more and more difficult But there is a moment when we can step back And say no And we must learn to practice it And with practice, practice maketh a man perfect At some point of time (laughs) So, yeah Mm. There have been experiments like that One experiment which I may mention quickly uh, Sanger's experiment, we can, you know, search for it They showed that, uh, you know two groups of people were shown two different movies one was shown a horror movie and the other was shown a happy humorous movie and both were given the same injections you know hormonal injections very low doses of adrenaline and they were asked that what was your experience so one said oh my god it was terrifying and the other said oh it was exhilarating now you see the hormone was the same But the mind was primed in another way. So what did the hormone do? It simply amplified a certain kind of experience. But who was experiencing? It was the mind which was experiencing. So the power of the mind, even with the hormones, is higher. And we must uh, exercise it. Yes, there is the bodily apparatus. We can't deny it. Um, But we must learn that we are here to master that. That's the whole thing. And eventually for the transformation process. So to step back, to know that we are greater than that. Even one can stop. The play of hormones Everything is possible I mean it's known For example That people who um, Give in to a certain Kind of hormones They have a certain Kind of problem uh, Many kinds of You know prosthetic enlargements And other things They are the result of that And uh, equally Those who know How to handle it And master it uh, Well The problem Can become Much slower And it can be Taken care of So hormones are there But they are not The origin They are the Last step In the chain of events. Bodily processes are the last step. And since we are embodied, they are at a single, I mean, it's one continuum. Yeah.
1: Thank you. There is uh, one more question. Um, and maybe with this question, we will be yeah. uh, kind of rounding up. Um, sir, I would like to know, it's from Macarena Torres. I would like to know what I have to do for educating the psychic? Because in the Western culture, we do not have a tool for this. Mm. I think it is very important to teach. Uh,
0: More than educating the psychic, the psychic education, which is slightly different because psychic educates the rest of the being. But Mm. the mother has used the word psychic education in the sense of inducing it. Education literally is to bring out, induce So uh, it comes out and then it educates the rest of the members. So basically, it's true not only Western education in India, also it's forgotten. We talk about soul, but we are terribly scared of you know death. So (laughs) it is required everywhere. Except that there is a greater acceptance maybe in a in a country like India where you know this still exists as a memory in the race. So the first thing is that psychic is malnourished. Why? Because it doesn't have food. We have food for the body. We have food for the vital, we have food for emotions, we have food for thought. But where is the food for the psychic? So in, 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 in traditional Indian setup, I myself been nourished on that food. You know, reading a book like the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, certain psychic qualities which develop simply by reading books which are inspiring moments of heroes and sages and seers which were psychic moments you know when we read about valmiki how he was deeply moved by seeing the uh, you know death of one of the Kranj pakshi it's a very psychic moment where he is moved by the depths of love and a story unfolds which is the ultimate in love it's its death of you know a, a bird is dying but he sees behind it the possibility of a divine love affair rama and sita and all the you know the vyad comes in like you know who will eventually separate them i mean it's amazing So it is like a aha moment So these stories are one of the best ways with regard to children Now that's where India has an advantage because rich culture It has preserved that continuity which has been lost They are there in every civilization But they have been lost largely But in India we have these stories We can build up, there are many new stories Where you know, um, I mean I have read um, certain stories of athletes, sportsmen Where it's a psychic moment Psychic is not a religious entity I mean, it's, it's a, <laughs> religion is a, um, something which is uh, reduced to the human mind level a Higher mind maybe But psychic is something which is truly universal It is a spiritual, um, in fact, portion of the divine So, one aspect is through story Second is to always teach people And this trend is coming up but in an indirect way uh, In the form of racism and giving, getting free from racist things and etc But basically, what is the nature of the psychic? Mother says first step is to realize that you are independent Uh, There is something in us which is independent of time, place and circumstance So to educate us that look we are not just this formation, this name, surname, this country So cross cultural transactions, uh, you know interactions, widening All this is part of the psychic education To learn that I am not just this limited formation To to educate people to bring out their true identities Through various forms of, you know, depending on the age A little older people, through dialogues, etc Then refinement of nature has direct bearing on the psychic Psychic is right there, it is veiled by the surface The vital with its excitement, the surface emotions So the more we educate and refine these things The psychic steps out So again, art, music, poetry is part of bringing out the psychic Poetry is very close to the psychic I am not saying all kinds of poetry, but simply Just reading poetry, not uh, Well, Baba Black Sheep or you know all kinds of poetry But there is a poetry which can really refine the being And bring out the psychic right there It's a food So all the things which can nourish the psychic The stories of courage, sacrifice, uh, profound love These are the aspects of the psychic Psychic love is self-giving So every time we uh, educate children Through these means, indirect means Uh, We are actually helping in bringing out the psychic To teach them that there is something Beyond the arc of our possibilities To make them aware that life is not only About food, shelter and uh, clothing There is much more to it uh, To life And this can be led through a reflection And many processes But most importantly if we are awakened within our souls. See one of the problems is children Nowadays they are very perceptive about They hate hypocrisy So it's not like you know we talk about Psychic if there is a vacant person it's not what he says it's his presence which helps so every teacher who is sincere about uh, you know uh, bringing psychic education to the children must first bring out his own psychic being uh, and then create an atmosphere in the classroom at home which is full of the psychic flowers and you see incense the little lamp and the photograph they were all psychic things everywhere it was like a food. I mean, I have grown up in that environment, so I am aware of that. Like, how these things unwittingly have nourished that deeper thing. So, this is how it should be done. And a point comes when they, if they are destined, they will consciously engage with the process. That's at a certain age. They can also be taught to just sit quietly, to bring peace, to reflect, to see what is the purpose of life. All this will be part of the psychic education. Before they eat, before they do anything, to step back and see why they are doing it. In India, we had the culture of, you know, offering it to the divine before any activity. This is a wonderful thing to, you know, ingrain into a child that every activity is not just for my ego satisfaction, but it is being offered to the divine. It's meant to go to the divine. Then food becomes prashad. So all these little, little things, if we get trained, you know, pleasure, happiness is the goal vis-a-vis progress. As the mother says, you know, uh, instead of doing something for pleasure, taking pleasure in whatever we do. These little things which children can, you know, can be ingrained into children sympathy, affection, tenderness, care, they are all psychic qualities. So when we train children towards that strength, courage, courage many dimensions courage to speak the truth, courage to stand up for truth, courage to appreciate beauty, courage to accept an error all these are part of psychic education these are psychic qualities uh, uh, faith we denounce faith because we want it to be to pass through the critical reason so we are actually not only depriving the psychic we are poisoning it faith has its own place faith can be reconciled with reason not crushed out of existence by the critical reason so by bringing out these aspects of the psychic to learn to endure you know the triple soul forces to stay quiet and open to domains of knowledge creative knowledge, uh, all these are part of the psychic education. It's a vast subject, but just in a quick uh, nutshell.
1: Thank you very much. It was very beautiful and a wonderful answer. And we would like to invite you, we are organizing um, the whole series of talks on psychic education. And it would be wonderful if you could, um, I guess, uh, join this uh, Yes, uh, of forum and webinar, and uh, give us, uh, uh, bring us uh, some perspectives on psychic education again.
0: Sure, sure. Yes. Thank you.
1: Thank you very so much thank you for your everyone.
0: Beautiful, uh, Yeah, It's uh, wonderful, yeah, connecting this way. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, okay.
1: Namaste.